Howdy and welcome to episode 19 of Bleachers and Boxes, a baseball podcast hosted by old friends who happen to be fans of the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. With me today, as always, is my co-host Eric, the Yankees fan, and I'm Storm. I'm an attorney, an Astros fan, and in my book, the best all-around ballpark food offerings can be found at Petco Park in San Diego. Play the drop. Eric, how are you today, bud? I am great, Storm. I am. I, I will say that I'm going to be in San Diego for the first time this fall uh, for mm-hmm. a good friend of mine's wedding. And unfortunately, I, I looked at the schedule like the second we got the invites and the naturally the Padres are on the road. Um, like You're missing uh, out. I, I, I know. Seriously. Um, so you think you think uh, Petco has the best food and I mean, I don't want to just limit to al- limit it to mm-hmm. alcohol, but you think Petco has the best food and the best like beer options or best drink yes. options. Not beer. You know, at a baseball game, I'm not really a mixed cocktail drink kind of guy. Um, I guess maybe if I'm in like a premium section, I will, but overall right. I tend to get beer. And in my experience, Petco has the best beer selection, not just um, kind of in there, what you might call like brick and mortar operations, like a, you know, an actual built into the stadium thing. They bring a lot of outside vendors in on carts that have local beer. Like, I mean, first off as a matter Pizza Port, which is a port brewing in San Diego, has mm. a brick and mortar, multiple brick and mortar shops in there, and they've always got good beer. Um, and then they bring some outside local stuff in. They've got a local, you know, burger joint has uh, not in and out because I know you have issues with in and out. Uh, I don't, have, I don't have actual issues with in and out. I have people. I have issues <laughs> with the people. But there's a joint called Hodads that has multiple locations inside the stadium. So I think it's the best all around that I've been to. And another thing that's cool too, obviously, you know, and this is maybe not fair to the gist of the question, but they also got stone brewing right outside the gates. They have a tap room at the stadium just outside the gates in left center, I think over by the Trevor Hoffman statue. So that's, that's, you know, that sells it for me. You can go get a good beer there before the game, go in, get some good beer at the game, walk right back out, get another good one at, uh, at the brewing room for stone IPA. When you say that they're outside the gates, like you, like you walk out of the tunnel, like you're in like the concourse and everything, like you don't have to leave the ballpark premises in order to. No, you do have to leave. It's just outside the gate. That's why I was okay. like, but it's not like, but I mean, when I say just, I mean, literally like the entrance is, is kind of built in a funky way where you have to walk down this little alley and to your left is the gate to the stadium. And to your right is the entrance to stone brewings tap room. Okay. Um, so it's, so, so it's yeah. not like, it's not like Sandlot brewing at Coors where you like, you no, it's not where it's it. built into it. Yeah, correct. But I didn't Sandlot have like an outdoor area that like, if we went out there, we were no longer in the stadium, but we could still buy Sandlot beer. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think there was any outdoor, uh, seating for the brewery. Yeah, maybe not. And it would have only been limited to like, you, you can only access it if you're in the ballpark. Um, but I like, and that, I still, that, I felt like we still maybe had some like weird lingering COVID stuff going on with that trip or that their setup. I couldn't, it, it, it felt weird. Right. But it did I don't feel, know. It, Anyhow, it, it felt strange. Yeah. What, what about you? What, what's your, what's your favorite, uh, I guess food, food concession offerings and beer if they are different. Yeah. Mine, mine are different. Um, I didn't mind uh, Yankee stadium for the first time last year, uh, had food that I actually thought like got better than the, they've typically had. Uh, my my food go to food is City Field. Um, I think the options and the flexibility that they have throughout the ballpark, whether or not you're in the nosebleeds or you're down on the first level, they just have a ton of variety and a ton of local variety. 
Um, but then there's their center field concourse, which they just continue to add on to, uh, which there's a, a ton of general seating, um, has both alcohol options and food options. And like you can get chicken tender buckets with these like basically fried cheese croquettes uh, that like, I mean, you're taking a year off your life, but like they're phenomenal. And then you'd only get them New Yorkers. New Yorkers fucking love chicken buckets, man. What is that? We love, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, there's the running gag that like chicken bucket prices will explode every time the Yankees make a, a big signing. Um, I don't get it. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I love the chicken tender bucket. Like the, the, the last year, uh, Momofuku, uh, added a new stand at Yankee stadium with their fried chicken buckets. This is a local joint in New York. Yeah. It was uh, found. It was originally a noodle place. I think it was a noodle place originally founded in Boston. Um, but he, uh, David Chang is the founder and he came to New York, both Yankee stadium and city have it. Now their chicken, I don't think at the stadium was very good. Um, mm. their, their chicken sandwich is phenomenal, but their mm-hmm. tenders, you're, you're better off sticking with the regular, uh, and the, uh, Nathan's crinkle cut fries. Uh, but beer, even though city is a very, very, very close second in my eyes to it. I had a great time at Fenway park. Uh, I don't think the beer options are all that unique. I mean, they have a few mm-hmm. local options. Um, but for whatever reason, like I remember going to their Sam Adams, uh, uh deck in, in the, the upper deck and right field. Mm-hmm. Great view. They have a ton of options because of the brewery being in Boston. Um, mm-hmm. And they were they have uh, they have Red Sox specific beer, and then they had they had a oh, couple of other. And I wasn't I wasn't impressed with the beer selection. I remember kind of thinking like, all right, we'll just get these same. But at the same time, I felt like the lines were a little too long, and I I didn't go up to that upper upper deck, which in hindsight I should have, and, and maybe next time I'm out there I will. Yeah. But yeah, anyhow. Well, I and yeah, and, and I'll agree with you. I mean, the, I thought like the selection at Fenway isn't fantastic. Um, it's nowhere compared to city. And I, we went, what, two seasons ago. Was it, was that your first time at city? I think so. But yeah, I, I did feel like the city beer that we went to a little, a uh, little cart that had a lot of, a lot of beer variety. Yeah. It's wild to me how much, how much local New York city beer and like New Jersey beer as well, um, that city has. And like, they just put in a new, when I say just, it was probably added in like 2019 in on the fourth level, there's a behind home plate on the top level is this huge wraparound uh, like built in brick and mortar cooler section. And they have mm-hmm. everything from all the local beers that they sell um, to like spiked Arnold Palmer and like all the Arizonas. Mm-hmm. And it's wild to me what city, what the Mets spend on um, mm-hmm. that might've been implemented when Steve Cohen came in. Uh, Maybe. But yeah, that's cool. They're, we, they're, we, they're we didn't check that out, but we'll have to check it out next time. Uh, so with that, let's get into the topic of the show. First topic of the show, Bellinger is off the board. Cody Bellinger's free agency has come to an end as he signed a three-year, $80 million deal to return to the north side of Chicago. Now, the deal does come with opt-outs after each of the first two seasons. So this is likely really only a one-year, $30 million prove-it or pillow contract for Bellinger. This is not at all what I think the industry expected or what his agent, Scott Boris, expected. Uh, with that in mind, Eric, you know, it's safe to say this isn't really what you you or I expected either, right? No, not at all. I mean, I think I think you and I both expected uh, him to go back to Chicago. But True. I mean, ultimately, you know, we looked at obviously Otani was the number one free agent, both I think pitching wise, we know not immediately, but hitting wise. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then we saw Soto as the, of course, best, the the, the next best option. You have to trade for him. Uh, of and course, with trade, yes. And, and then Bellinger was was number three. So I, I expected yeah. him, we, even though we expected him to go to the Cubs, I didn't expect him to still be a free, uh, you know, to be a free agent going into spring training. Um he it was speculated that he would get like a two like a 200 plus million dollar contract and clearly mm-hmm. i mean we can get into it obviously with you know with sort of how boris has handled you know his his big five and now it's his big four uh mm-hmm. remaining free agents um but teams clearly didn't value you know what i think uh, you know he ultimately thought was him being back to that you know that rookie of the year and mvp numbers before the shoulder injury um, and so now, so now, what do what do you what do you think is actually the attributable cause here? What do you attribute this fall off to uh, for the the or this distortion between reality and expectation? Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think it is twofold. One is, uh, I think teams aren't buying into just that one year, right? This so the Dodgers non tendered him after twenty two. He signed the one year deal with the Cubs. He had a good year, but you know we'll see. Um, and like, he's clearly a talented player, but two, I mean, I do think that Scott Boris for all that he's done for the game and for the players to get the most money possible. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that it comes down to him overestimating the market. Like a lot of money was spent last year. Um, not all of which was well spent. Uh, mm-hmm. next year's free agent class is, I mean, Soto's definitely hitting the market. We know that. He's going to at least test free agency, whether he stays in New York or not, um, or stays in the Bronx or not, because um, I'm convinced he's going to the Mets. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think when it comes down to it, and we'll obviously get into the Boris uh, clients in a little bit, I think I think Boris got a little overeager, and, and now he's mm-hmm. sort of lashing out, saying teams aren't spending money. Yeah, there are teams that aren't spending money um, because they've never they've historically not spent. But the teams that have historically spent money spent it last year. Like, mm. I think that's yeah. I think, I think I, that's I, a factor. And I it's think, not just uh, Bellinger. And I think, um, yeah. So I think, uh, as a global topic, I think there's some truth to teams aren't spending as much. And I think that I think the the obvious uh, conclusion to draw here is that it has something to do with this ongoing. RSN network money issue. I mean, I think Josh Hader came out and said after he signed with the Astros, I was in talks with Texas, but I was told pretty early on they're super worried about their TV money. So it's probably not going to happen. And mind you, Texas is already on the hook for, I want to say almost a billion or just over a billion dollars between, um, you know, Semyon, Seeger, DeGrom, Scherzer, like they're, they're up there in, in money. Right. So They've got a lot, and a lot of that's deferred too. In, in the case of Degrom, if I'm not mistaken, so not yeah, only DeGrom do they have a, a large commitment, a lot of it is a large commitment for the next decade or more of time. So, I, and he, I think, I don't, I don't think we can deny that that's happening. And right, I think it's yeah. taking out some teams that might otherwise have been a little bit more competitive in in the market. Yeah. At the well, same time, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, like the, like the Rangers have historically spent. Now, finally, it worked. Uh, with a yeah. with a championship, um, they tried the homegrown movement with you know Ian Kinsler and Michael Young and yada yada yada, and it didn't work. And they got some. I mean, that's they had success there. I mean, right? They back to back World Series losses that both went. Yeah, a seven, know, six games or so. Or five, it, five, seven, I know min, one went seven games. Yeah, I can always min, forget I how long the Giants one went. Yeah, minimum of six games. 
Um, yeah, when, when I say work, I mean, like it, it led to a championship, right? Um, and they certainly had those opportunities and they finally got over the hurdle by adding Semyon and Seeger and ironically enough, you know, not having DeGrom. <laughs> but adding Scherzer helped down the stretch. Yovaldi, yeah. that's that he's not cheap either. Yeah. And we didn't expect Yovaldi to hold up. I mean, we, we talked about that last year as we were getting into the pennant race, like, you know, injuries have been a big part of his career. He's obviously pitched in, in big games. Um, you know, thinking of 2018, but, and, and, and so now, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the global issue of teams aren't spending as much narrowly as it relates to Bellinger. I attribute this distortion between expectation and reality to a lot of teams looking at the breakout sort of, or, or return to a breakout or return to prominence for Bellinger last year. I think they look at that and they're contrasting it and seeing, you know, and, or I guess looking at that and trying to project it to see, is this something that's going to be repeatable? So last year, he had his lowest strikeout percentage of his career, his highest batting average of his career, and he had the highest batting average on balls in play of his career, which was over 300. Now, you know, kind of just to, to, to help context that, batting average on balls in play is a stat that tries to predict, you know, how much you benefited from luck last year. Yeah. So the, the average in the MLB is about 300. Um, it, it removes home runs and strikeouts, things that are fielding independent, so to speak. So he had a batting average on balls in play of 319. I think teams are looking at that. That is the highest he's ever had in his career after having 255, 196, 245 in the preceding three years. There's likely going to be some regression there. So now to, to, to context, contextualize that, you might say, okay, well, how hard is he hitting the ball? Because generally speaking, a hard hit ball is less likely to get fielded, right? It can be hit right at somebody, but you hit it hard on the ground, it might sneak through. You hit it hard in the air, it goes over a fielder's head, it goes to the wall, it goes out of the park. So you can kind of look at that. Well, let's take a look at his last year. Other numbers that are predictive of, you know, your ability to get on base that are luck independent were some of his lowest of his career. His average exit velocity was the lowest of his career last year. He had the lowest barrel percentage of his career. He had the lowest hard hit percentage of his career and his chase rate didn't actually improve much. So that doesn't say, oh, well, he got better. He swung at fewer balls. Not necessarily. He chased, he chased pitches out of the zone pretty much the same as he's always done. He just got luckier in theory. That's, this is the, the operating theory is yeah. perhaps he just got luckier when he made contact. He didn't necessarily hit it harder. He didn't get it, uh, you know, hit it more clean necessarily, right? Barrel it or hard hit. He just got luckier. And I think a lot of people in the industry were looking at that profile and saying, there's regression here. How much, we don't know, but it doesn't seem likely to be repeatable on a consistent basis as he, as he ages, not just this year, but as he ages. So I think yeah. that's really attributable. Yeah. Well, and like we, we know that obviously, you know, I mean, every team is using more advanced metrics, how much they rely on that. Um, is obviously team by team. Um, if, you know, teams are obviously looking at that and saying, listen, we're not going to commit that much money. If he does it again this year, I think it'll be tough. If he if he repeats his numbers this year, even with mm -hmm. those advanced metrics, I could see a team taking a flyer next year. Um, but well, I mean, whether, yeah, whether, look, whether or not whether or not he gets that the, the value mm -hmm. that he thinks he expects in that 200 plus, that's a different story. Yeah. I mean, right. One, one is a, one is a fluke. One is an aberration. Two is a trend. I think might be, might be the argument. Uh, at yeah. least that's the argument his, his agent's going to make. So we'll see. I mean, I, who knows? I, I, I do think there's something to 
it's a confluence of those global and specific factors. There's not as much money being spent because of this concern about RSNs, but then specifically as it relates to Bellinger, there's concern about how solid these numbers are and how much luck is involved in his return to prominence. I think we've hit the head uh, on that one pretty well. Let's move to our second topic and let's dig into spring training. So our second topic of the day, spring training stories to watch for Houston and New York. I think it'll work best. Let's do a little back and forth here. I can start with one. Let's talk about that. We can move for the first one for you for the Yanks. So let's start with the Astros. I think the first thing I want to watch in this spring training is how does the starting rotation shape out? The Astros have entered spring training and already two of their anticipated starting pitchers, Justin Verlander and JP France, are having either injury concerns or concerns about their readiness for the regular season. Justin Mm -hmm. Verlander has said that he's a little bit behind on his normal program. Meanwhile, JP France has had shoulder inflammation and to the best of my recollection has not thrown a bullpen yet. That leaves two big problems in their rotation. They already, of course, reminding everybody, will not have Lance McCullers Jr. to start the year and will not have Luis Garcia, who are both rehabbing from injuries and likely won't be back until midway through the season. You're looking then at a rotation of something like Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Hunter Brown. Um, If Justin Verlander is ready for opening day, great. There's your first four. That leaves the the last rotation spot open for Jose Urquidy, JP France, who might not even be ready by then, Brandon Belak, and or Ronel Blanco. I think the Astros are probably also going to want to try to have a six-man rotation, especially even if Justin Verlander gets ready. They might want to have a six-man rotation early in the year because they don't have a lot of days off in that first part of the schedule and to limit the workload on these starting pitchers coming into a brand new year. Um, That's, you know, that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm really keyed in on to start the season for the Astros or to start spring training for the Astros, I should say. How about you? What's your first topic uh, for the Yanks? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's about the same um, in, in a slightly different context and it's the Yankees rotation following Garrett Cole. Um, Cole, the reigning AL Cy Young winner has been a workhorse. I always get concerned that eventually injuries and age will catch up with him. Um, but that Mike picks up a knock on wood. There it is. Uh, but like following Cole, the, the likely number two is Carlos Rodon. He came into camp, slimmed down, but had a really rough season last year. Uh, 14 starts, uh, finished three and eight, 685 ERA, 144 whip. Um, he was basically a two pitch pitcher with a, a fastball, his fastball and a slider and location and predictability became a huge issue with him. Also appeared, I'm not going to say he was overweight, but he looked a little out of shape after the injuries that he had. Um, and I got into it with Matt Blake, the pitching coach got into it with the fans has come into camp, slim down um, injuries, like arm injuries, shoulder injuries have been an issue for him, but he does look good. I think he's going to be the X factor of the rotation because he could be an ace for a team. Uh, following them, uh, following the two of them, Marcus Stroman's the number three. Uh, he's been fairly reliable, even though he had some injuries last season. Uh, and then the the last two are Nestor Cortez and and, uh, and Clark Schmidt. Clark Schmidt last season uh, definitely a number five starter uh, through the most innings that he's thrown in his major league career thus far. Nestor Cortez missed a ton of time with uh, with a shoulder injury. So you really have to start thinking about the depth. And we've talked about the Yankees starting depth after the Soto deal, um, sending over uh, Johnny Brito and, and Randy Vasquez. Uh, really have to start thinking about how we think about the prospects that are available. So 
Yeah, most most of the Yankees starting pitching rotation depth now plays in San Diego, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I, I'm 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 excited to see. I think I think Clark Schmidt is on the on the on the come up and, and could have a breakout year, um, especially if injuries do plague the rotation and he has to cover even more innings or get more starts. Right. If he's moving up the slot into the, you know, three or four spot as opposed to the five. I think that he's got he's he's pretty well poised for a nice little breakout. And there's always I mean, in theory. Uh, as people on Twitter like to say, there's always the possibility of Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. So keep dreaming on yeah. that. Yeah, I Let's would move. Uh, frankly, I would rather use uh, the guys in the back uh, in in the depth. Um, thinking mm-hmm. about you know Luke Weaver <laughs> at this mm. point. Oh, I forgot he's on the team. I know, right? Like uh, we'll we'll talk about another another option, but like yeah, I always forget Luke Weaver's the Yankee. <laughs> Second topic I'm keeping an eye on for the Astros this spring training, that's building the bench. Mauricio Dubon and Victor Caratini are locks for two of the four bench spots for the Astros, but that leaves two open. Now, last year, those two spots down the stretch were filled by John Singleton and Gray Kessinger. John Singleton is obviously a well-known veteran. He has no options left. He is a left-handed bat, so he's going to get every opportunity to make this squad. There are not a lot of left-handed hitters on the bench or even options for left-handed hitters on the bench for the Astros, and they do like to mix in that option uh, when it comes to facing right-handed pitchers, playing it, playing the uh, the advantages or playing the matchups. Problem with John Singleton, uh, if you've ever seen him, he's a big boy. Uh, he's got next he's to a, no positional flexibility. He's a big, big man. Yeah. So he's a single, or excuse me, he's a first baseman or DH type. And there is some, there's definitely been some chatter in camp. The Astros are going to try to get Jose Abreu more days off, whether that's true, not in the lineup days off or spots at designated hitter. And those will be opportunities where perhaps that means Jordan plays left field, Chaz McCormick slides to center, or Chaz takes a day off, and then Singleton will play some first. So there's definitely a way you can see John Singleton making this team he has the category of you can play first. They like that. He hits left. They like that. I think the next option, of course, then becomes, as I mentioned, Gray Kessinger. He's a very light hitting middle infield options guy. He can play second, short, third. Speaking of options, he has options. He can be optioned down to AAA. So that might make him a little more fungible on the fringe roster discussion. I'm not super impressed with him at this point in his career. Again, he's a light hitting bat, but He's good defensively, and that's what your bench rolls are made for. Late inning substitution if you need it for some reason, which I don't necessarily think the Astros are in that position as uh, currently constructed. But pinch run options, he now gives you a guy who can play third, short, second, etc. Then there's the wild card opportunity, and that's Trey Cabbage. We talked about him on the best name and the the best name on the Astros. Trey Cabbage. Well, I, I don't remember if he has some lettuce for hair. Like I can't remember if he has long hair or not. If he does. Might have to start calling it cabbage instead of if, lettuce. If he but doesn't, he, that's a big marketing wasted opportunity on his part. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, these kids—they don't know anything today. Trey Cabbage has options. Um, he is the—he's the Astros Twitter equivalent of like people just fawning over good AAA numbers with nothing else behind them. Like everybody oh, so when Wade. he first got traded. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know if he—I don't know if he's as fast as Tyler Wade. I'm sorry. He's—he's he's Rob. He's—he's he's Rob Ref Snyder then. Rob Ref Snyder. Well, did the did Yankee fans ever like Rob Ref Snyder? It was before the Yankees had like, it was before like Glaber and Andujar and all those guys mm-hmm. were coming up, and all of a sudden it was like, who's the prospect? Who's the prospect? Rob Ref Snyder. Hey, he's coming up. Like, 
Well, he, he did well. He did well. That The joke was like, why Conference. wasn't he playing more? Because he was doing well. It was just he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. And yeah. arguably, perhaps they were just playing him in opportune moments where he could be successful. But anyway, now, now he's a consistent Red Sox, you know, right? Like, yeah, I like dude. Rob Ref Snyder. He's a wildcat. Bear down, baby. He gets so a, he gets let's a, go back. He gets to, applause in Yankee Stadium from the Yankee fans. No, oh, good. Good. <laughs> good for him. Uh, then. So back to Trey Cabbage. Um, I said Astros Twitter heartthrob to be sure recently acquired in a trade from the Angels. That tells me not that the Angels, or excuse me, that the Astros were actually, you know, actively interested in him, not just willing to let him kind of see if he gets waived, see if he gets cut, whatever. Um, Bats lefty. Again, that is something I think that the Astros leadership front front office leadership is going to prioritize for a bench spot. Right. He can also play corner outfield and he can play corner infield. He's an option to back up uh, Bregman at third. He's an option to get a Brayu days off at first. They can hit left. He can go into the corners in the outfield if they need to pull Chaz for some reason or if they need to move Chaz to center. Yeah, this is why he's tied in there. Yeah, he's got he's got options as well. So he's a real dark horse to make a push. I think I don't think he and Singleton make the roster, though. I think one of those is going to make it. And rightly or wrongly, I think Greg Kessinger probably ends up making it. Hmm. So that's that one. How about you? We got second topic for you. Yankees health, health, health to watch in spring training. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a consistent issue with the Yanks over the years um, of just losing a ton of time to injuries. Yankees were third in the league last year in terms of innings lost to injury. Um, I mean, most notably Aaron judge breaking the wall in, in uh, at Dodger stadium, Stanton missing time, Rizzo running into Fernando Tatis's leg, Harrison Bader, Cortez, Radon, the list goes on. Um, that next man up mentality finally ran out. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, you see a lot of, I mean, the Yankees have spent a ton in terms of their um, their athleticism and health department, um, and it really hasn't added up to much. And you're seeing guys like Stanton come in looking drastically different. Um, mm-hmm. Stanton was never out of shape. I mean, last year it was reported he had 7% body fat, but mm-hmm. David Wells is is famous for a lot of things, not all that great, but he's famous not for- Not many of them good. Not many of them good. Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but he's also famous for saying you can't pull fat. David Wells was overweight a lot, but he, he's got a point, right? Like and Stanton would ha- he has had a lot of soft tissues, soft tissue injuries. Um, so he he's actually come into camp looking much slimmer. He looks like he's skipping leg days, what he looks like. Exactly. He, he looks like the he looks like the fish in SpongeBob who's like <laughs> super shredded up top like Larry the Lobster and then little peg legs. <laughs> It's 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 so true. And like the in the initial video of, of them showing him looked like he was again like a free he, he, like I remember that uh, that clip uh, against Houston when he got hosed at the plate with where anyone else would have scored on a single into the outfield from second. Um, he looked like he was afraid to get hurt when he was running. He was very stiff um, at the beginning of camp. He looked that way and it turned out that he was running in like a, a weight vest because he actually he took off too much muscle. Hmm. So now he he hasn't appeared. I don't think he's appeared in a spring game yet. Uh, but ultimately, he looks like he's more flexible and it looks like it's actually increased his bat speed again. That was a concern last year. Um, hmm. And it showed. He, I mean, he hit 191. His numbers were really down. So ultimately, a healthy Yankee team. I mean, injuries are going to happen, right? You can never avoid them a healthy Yankee team will help them get back to at least competing for the division. Um, so as long as judge doesn't break another wall and maybe we don't have a, you know, pavement sticking out onto the playing field, maybe he'll play a full season. 
Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the exit velocity dip. It's it's definitely it's gone down each of the last couple years, uh, but he was still actually his exit velocity was still, I believe, top 10 percent in the league. Let me see him. Is it I'm Stanton? on StatCast here. Yeah. Stanton, top four percent last year. His average exit velocity, 93.3. Oh, yeah. Uh, top four percent of the league. It's this isn't to say that his that his swings uh, that his his hits weren't bad, or even I mean they were they were outs too. I, I we were at a game where he he planted one that hit off the the top of the facade in left field. Um, mm-hmm. Like he he still hits the ball really hard, but he looked like he was so stiff that he looked like he was guessing. Um, and he's famous for that. Like he he'll all of a sudden you know swing well out in front of a breaking ball down and away. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not to say that he wasn't hitting the ball hard. He just wasn't hitting the ball all that much. Yeah. Yeah. His barrel percentage was down pretty significantly, almost a full 4%. Um, and uh, yeah, that'll, you know, if you're not, if you're not making as much contact and as, and then when you are making contact, it's not as often that you're making solid contact for a profile like Stanton's where he's going to strike out. He's going to go through kind of all or nothing slumps. Yeah. It needs to be that every time you make contact, it's, it's, it's hard contact. Yeah. The next, the next topic I'm looking at or the next storyline I'm watching for the Astros, the third one, that's filling out the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've covered before, and it has been really, the I think, the offseason story for the Astros, adding Josh Hader has given them a solid 7-8-9 of Abreu, Presley, and Hader. The next question that I have is, what comes before that? Where is the rest of the bullpen depth that you're going to have on the days when you get a short start? Or the days where you go into extra innings, the days when you've already used your seven, eight, nine back-to-back days, or something like that. Uh, I think the answer is that Mon- Rafael Montero is probably going to be the you know the sixth inning guy, if that's a thing. He's one of right. the guys that will play in to the seven, seven, eight role if Hader or Presley or Abreu are tired. Uh, I think he's a lock, obviously, to make the team. His contract says it. He's getting paid very good, uh, good money this year. The second year of a deal. Didn't go so great last year, but he did actually improve down the stretch. So hopefully an offseason to reset gets him back on. So I think he's a pretty safe bet to make the team. That leaves, you know, somewhere between another, you know, four spots in the bullpen, right? Uh, Or I guess I should actually say at least another two to three spots because you're going to probably carry about eight guys if if that's the case. Yeah, I and, think and one of they, those might be a long starter like Brandon Belak. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if, if any of those guys that you listed in the rotation are starting the year mm-hmm. at least a little slow, having that sixth, that quote, sixth man who can then transition back into the pen as a, you know, three to four inning guy. Mm-hmm. So you figure if you've got your seven, eight, nine, Abreu, Presley, Hader, and Montero, that's four relievers. You're probably going to carry probably another three and one long starter. So the, of the other three left, I think that's where it gets interesting. Um, Brandon Belak, as I mentioned, as you talked about guys from the starting rotation, he seems like he's probably going to make this team. I believe he's out of options and they do value his swing man ability. I don't think the Astros want to expose him to waivers. He'd probably get claimed. I'm not saying he's a star, but I think he'd probably get claimed if he got, if he got put out there on waivers. So let's say we put him on. Now you've got maybe two more spots and the options there are Bennett Souza, Seth Martinez, Parker Mashinsky, the oft fabled and oft injured Forrest Whitley. Dylan Coleman and Wander Suero, who's a non-roster invite we mentioned on our last episode, who had some had some success in the past, but a little bit removed from it these days. Am I? Uh, I am. Am I correct in saying that uh, Whitley once had, and I might be dating myself with uh, the show Twenty Twenty, 
was, oh yeah did he have a future star card mm-hmm. whitley like was, was a, a huge a... prospect i mean at one point i think whitley was the top prospect in the organization if not a top three like yeah if, if it wasn't, wasn't him it was like three, he was Lee. the one yeah so but he's had so many injuries uh he has just never been able to put it together consistently and I, th- the rumor is this year he is he is going to become a relief pitcher because they see that's his best way to make this team. Right. Um, that was before we heard that Verlander was off to a slow start, before we heard that J.P. France had shoulder inflammation. That was just them projecting out to, okay, when do we think Forrest Whitley would be ready to make this team? Probably at some point midway through the year when we've confirmed that he's got it all together. By that point, we should have a mostly healthy rotation. We should also be looking at getting McCullers and Garcia back there's just no room in this starting rotation for him. They've converted him, uh, at least that the plan is that they're converting him. I think he's already off to a slow start. Like, I don't know if he's made an appearance yet in spring training. I think he's still working on building up strength. So I think he's not going to make this opening camp. I think the good bets are Bennett Souza. He may, he's played for the Astros. They claimed him after the playoff deadline last year. Pitched very, very well down the stretch, but was not playoff eligible. Otherwise, I think he would have made this team. Uh, he's a lefty. That'll give him another left-handed option in the bullpen alongside Josh Hader. I think Seth Martinez is probably another one that makes the team. A right-handed guy. He seems to only be able to get righties out. I think lefties give him fits. Uh, but he's played before. I think they're, uh, they have familiarity and interest in getting him work. Um, other than that, maybe Wander Suero. And I'm kind of secretly, just because I like him as a clutch baseball cards guy, I kind of want Wander Suero to make the team. He, um, I believe he has good reverse splits. So he's uh, stronger against, um, excuse me, those are traditional splits. I think he has good traditional splits. So he's better against lefties than he is against righties. That's another thing the Astros really value in a right-handed pitcher because they tend to have right-handed heavy bullpens. Anyway, let's get to the third and final Yankees spring training topic that you're focusing on, Eric, and that's the filling out the open roster spots. Tell me what you're thinking about who's who are those last couple guys? Who's the 26th man on the roster kind of deal? Yeah, I mean the the one one of the uh, quote open spots are definitely filling out the pen, uh, similar to the Astros. But I think every team has to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 two big spots left on the bench are who is going to be the quote backup catcher. Um, Yanks have three. Austin Wells, I think, is a lock unless he gets hurt. Uh, ben Rortvet, who was acquired in the Donaldson IKF Gary Sanchez deal, uh, the hologram as Yankees like to call him, Yankees fans like to call him, um, which is isn't quite fair because he had a blood clot at one point in his leg that it had had that removed. Um, uh, well, are you are you saying Yankees fans are insensitive to the health and safety of players? This is this is news to me. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll take yes, Alex. Yeah, so I'll leave it at that. Too much. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Jose Trevino, uh, who missed another injury uh, guy last year. He had a bum wrist. He had to have wrist surgery. Um, and as a catcher, wrists are kind of important. Um, so uh, Trevino right now is actually out again with a calf, uh, calf strain as a catcher. That could possibly linger. So as of right this now... This could resolve itself, but there is an issue that 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 they're going to face is that Rortvet is out of options. So he's either he is, making yeah. this team... Or he's getting exposed to waiver claims. Yeah, and if if Trevino's got issues, that that might be hell. Or excuse me, not Trevino. Um, yes, Trevino. Yeah, yeah. Trevino. If he has issues, that might this might resolve itself. Yeah, temporarily. Well, yeah, and like the reality with it is that last season with Trevino out, Ben Rorvet caught Garrett Cole, and Austin Wells played the rest of the time. So it could work itself out because it's expected that Wells is going to face righties. 
and not catch Cole right away. And and Rortvet or Trevino is going to catch Cole. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that'll be something to watch, um, especially, as you said, because Rortvet's out of options. The other option uh, is really just a backup infielder. I really think it's between Oswald Peraza and Oswaldo Cabrera. Uh, Aaron Boone recently was non-committal about uh, Oswald Peraza. Um, it's really about getting him consistency. Uh, he's a natural shortstop, uh, but obviously Volpe is there. Um, so he's going to have to get consistent at bats at third, second, and short. Um, he'll get time at third with Lemayu starting because Lemayu will cross over to play first. Uh, if not, I mean, the Yankees really have to start figuring out if they're either going to keep him or trade him um, because he's proven that he is good at AAA. It's, there's no point in having him there anymore. So those mm-hmm. are the two big bench spots left. The bullpen is mostly decided. I think it's more decided than uh, than the Astros situation. Clay Holmes is the lock at the closer. Um, righties include Rod, uh, Ron Marinaccio, Jonathan Loisica, Ian Hamilton, Tommy uh, Tommy Canely. Uh, lefties uh, would be Victor Gonzalez and Caleb Ferguson, both acquired from the Dodgers this offseason. So that really only has one spot open left. Um, Cody Morris was acquired from Cleveland. I kind of like him. He's, he's definitely that swing guy. He could do a spot start as needed, um, which would probably be only four innings. Um, once he's stretched out, uh, Cody Petit, uh, was, uh, signed from Miami, uh, Clayton Andrews. They really like him. He was acquired from Milwaukee, not all that long ago, Nick Ramirez. Uh, but all of those guys, like other than Morris, Petit is the only one who could be that, that's that quote swing guy. Um, who could go multiple innings. So I see him as like the leader in this because the other options, like we said, of Luke Weaver, they like him, but really? Um, Yoendris Gomez is one, and I complained to you about this. Like there's an authentic Yoendris Gomez jersey on MLB <laughs> Shop. The guy just made his major league debut last season after being signed in 2016. Like he's been on the 40 man for five years and just made his major league debut last season. Um, he has the opportunity to be that really dangerous swing guy, but they would have to, they would have to subject him to, to waivers. Um, so we'll see. You know, for me, barring a meltdown in spring training, I think Weaver probably is the one that makes that last spot as a long relief swing man. You know, we need somebody to get an extra day, uh, for a couple reasons. One, he is a quote unquote established major leaguer. He is where, He's also out of options and Poteet still has three options left. And, and I'm just kind of thinking if, you know, long-term, if you expect Poteet, if you, if you as the Yankees organization expect something out of Poteet, granted Poteet's already 29 point, uh, you know, almost 30 years old, but you might say we want Poteet to get consistent playing time. We don't really expect yeah, much out of Weaver. Out. We don't expect much out of Weaver anyway, so let's just throw him in the bullpen as a spot starter, etc. And Weaver's slightly older than Poteet, but I, I think your, your your instinct is probably right. One of those two guys seems like the logical, um, and it, I think it would it would take it would take Luke Weaver melting down or Poteet being so dramatically better. I think for Poteet to make this team simply because of the options issue, where the Yankees don't want to have to start exposing guys on the forty to other teams at the end of March. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I think the only like the, the the big thing that could save any of this guys like Jonathan Loisica and Rob Marinaccio, who str- who have struggled historically with injuries, if there's any sort of tweak of of anything 
between the two of them, they will they will try to make it work to not expose Weaver or Gomez to waivers. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what Cody Morris's situation is like in terms of of uh, of options. They're gonna... He's got two. Yeah. So like, and yeah, Gomez he... still has an option left. Oh, he does still have an option. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. Cause like he was signed in 2016, but 17 was his first year. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah. Then like you could see them stashing a lot of these guys at, uh, at Scranton. They're, they're going to just run into problems at some point. Uh, Lou, they, they re-signed Lou Trevino and Scott Eferos is still rehabbing. Uh, both are rehabbing from Tommy John surgery. Uh, it's not, uh, Efros is Efros is back surgery. According to roster resource. He, he had that recently. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, that pushed him. Uh, that pushed him later in the year. Trevino is in camp actively rehabbing. Um, but mm-hmm. Efros, uh, he, I think it was like, it was either late last year or early this year. And it was, yeah, a, it my, was it, I think it was as a result of something that happened during his rehab. Yeah. Notes are saying he had a injury or surgery date of December 23. So that must go. be really recent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember them saying like, he wasn't expected back until June and this bumps it to like July. Well, let's get on to our next topic, the unsigned Scott Boris four that still remain out there. Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, Jordan Montgomery, and J.D. Martinez remain unsigned. Now, Jeff Passan recently, quote unquote, predicted that Blake Snell would be signing with the Yankees, but he appeared to base that entirely on the Yankees making sense as the logical destination. He also mentioned that the Angels are in the running. Now, you and I are both on the record uh, multiple times on this show with kind of our predictions of where we think Snell, Chapman, and Montgomery go. I st- I said Blake Snell to Seattle, Matt Chapman to San Francisco, Jordan Montgomery to Texas. You uh, recently pivoted to Blake Snell to Baltimore. Matt Chapman, you think back to Toronto, and you think Jordan Montgomery goes to St. Louis. Uh, let's, we haven't, we, we haven't put a prediction on JD Martinez out yet. Let's save that for later. The the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any changes of heart on Snell Chapman and Montgomery? No, I mean, I'm sticking with the Baltimore pivot because I, I made the pivot already. Um, and I'm doing that based simply on the fact that he, you know, Baltimore is going to need pitching in order to get over the hump. Um, They added Corbin Burns, but then they've obviously had Mm -hmm. injuries to their rotation and now add John means to that as well. Um, But, you know, ultimately I could see Snell signing some form of contract uh, with, with Baltimore Chapman back to Toronto is based solely on the fact that they don't really have a third baseman right now um, unless they moved Kevin Biggio over. Uh, and, uh, Monty, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't hate on Justin Turner, baby. Oh my God. Yeah. Get out of the East dude. Um, <laughs> and they also, they also signed IKF. So yeah, right now roster resources projecting IKF as their third baseman, which isn't bad. He's a pretty good glove. He he won. I mean, I know it was in the, in the shortened, uh, 2020 season. Uh, he won the gold glove at third. Um, and he played yeah. a great third base last year when he needed to at Yankee stadium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I, 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 I do think, I think you might be onto something with Chapman back to Toronto just because Toronto had a very much always the bridesmaid, never the bride moment off season again, and missed out on Shohei. They were apparently in the running. I thought Shohei was in Toronto. Yeah, he was in Toronto. Uh, They missed out on getting Soto in a trade and they've seemed to just kind of all of a sudden said, okay, we're just not going to spend anything. Um, So that's peculiar. 
I still, I will stick by, I think Chapman goes to San Francisco. I think it makes a ton of sense. The Giants I could, need, I could see that too. Yeah. I'm, I'm sticking with bat. Toronto, but. Yeah, they, they need another bat. They need another glove. Um, cause I don't, I'm look former world series champion, JD Davis, uh, is not going to get it done at third, uh, or at least not to the level of Matt Chapman. So I like that. I am actually going to pivot on Snell. I have been leaning so hard on Seattle and Seattle is apparently one of those teams with the money issue. And I felt like, you know, getting rid of Robbie Ray made sense because they were that they were basically saying, we don't, we want to spend to get another pitcher, but we don't want to have this much of our payroll committed to starting pitching. So they shifted things. They went and got a Mitch Hanniger back. So at least it's a little bit more evenly spread money in terms of position players. They and love pitchers. some Hanniger in Seattle. They do. It's unreal. And I felt like that was them starting to get things in order. And then I felt like when the Yankees rumors first started with Snell, my impression was, okay, Seattle has an offer on the table. Snell's trying to get better offers to drive the number up. Boris but as time's gone on, I'm just, I'm just getting less, uh, less confident in that. I will change my Snell pick. Ooh. I think he goes to the Angels. I I am again. I'm not going to switch simply because I already switched. But I could I could very much see that. Hmm. Like I I would yeah. agree, like I wouldn't be surprised if he went to the Angels. Like mm-hmm. it makes sense. And the, the Angels love you know we talked about this I think offhand in the last episode. They love getting kind of starting pitchers that might not have the best track record of sustained success. And uh, Blake Snell has two Cy Young. So let's be clear. The guys, he is a very good pitcher. He just does not pitch very well deep. Are you saying that Blake Snell is better than CJ Wilson? I I'm going, I'm on record. I'm pretty confident with it. I feel (laughs) I'll stake my reputation to that. Now let's move. Speaking of the angels, let's move to JD Martinez. Now JD's still on the block. Uh, He recently made headlines because he didn't want to go to San Francisco. Allegedly. Uh, for my pick for J.D. Martinez, I think the Angels and or Rangers make a ton of sense for him. Texas is likely going to start the season with Wyatt Lankford at designated hitter. He's a 20, uh, 2023 first-round draft pick. Now, maybe they want to give him a little bit more time at AAA to kind of prove it uh, and or get insurance in case he's not quite ready. So uh, Texas makes a lot of sense. J.D. Martinez strikes me as a person that would love to live in Texas and that's one of those things that really fits in in my mind. He probably would love Bruce Bochy as well. So I think that one makes sense. The Angels make sense because they have to do something to put more talent around Mike Trout. Uh, and, and this isn't even a big move. Like J.D. Martinez is going to get you. He's not getting a multi-year contract. I don't think he's getting another one-year kind of deal. Uh, it's not going to cost the future to get him. Put a little no. bit of money in him, get another hitter around Trout. Right now, their projected designated hitter is Brandon Drury, who is frankly a utility infielder. Like, I'm not saying Brandon Drury can't hit. I'm not saying Brandon Drury can't play or doesn't belong on a roster. I wouldn't put Brandon Drury on my team as my designated hitter because he still has positional flexibility and defensive ability that yeah. you're almost losing out on there. Like that, the DH spot in this scenario, put somebody in there that's not great at fielding. JD Martinez. I don't even know if he brings a glove to the ballpark anymore. <laughs> you're you're a hundred percent right. Um, I I'm not going to disagree with 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 either of those options. Like I think they're they're both phenomenal. I would throw Arizona out there if the numbers right, just to throw him in to add some power. Um, I don't believe like Tommy Pham is still on the market. Um, at least Tommy Pham does bring a glove to the market uh, to the ball field. Um, mm. But I don't see Pham returning to Arizona. 
and JD obviously has experience there as well. And I'm actually kind of surprised and maybe I'm, maybe I shouldn't be if they, you know, they're not spending money. I'm surprised that Boston hasn't inquired, or at least that he hasn't been linked to go back to the Red Sox, um, adding some right-handed pop the, the predominant. I mean, it's not to say that Trevor story and um, who am I blanking on uh, Trevor story? The, the, the predominant amount of power. Oh, Grisham. Uh, is there is there right handed quote pop? Uh, everything else. Grisham. Is... Yeah, for Boston. First name. Vaughn. Vaughn Grissom. I... Grissom. And really? he yeah yeah Vaughn Grissom like Marquise Grissom. Um, he I don't know that Vaughn Grissom is a big hitter. I mean, don't I, forget that's about I, their that's, that's franchise why, why... cornerstone at third base. <laughs> No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is, is that their 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 right-handed batters are mm, their okay. pop. Their pop. Their 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 yeah. big power is in is Casas. In, Casas had a pretty damn good year last year. But again, their big power is from the left-handed side. Casas yeah. and Devers are both lefties. Yeah. You want you want to use the 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 sh- uh, the the quote short porch in the Green Monster. Um, mm. You know, you think about the Manny years and everything. Uh, but like. Mm. In JD's last year, he didn't have a ton of power in Boston. He had a high average, um, but like bringing him back on a one-year deal would at Does least seem, get. Yeah, feasible. Red Sox fans are, are livid with the with the ownership. Um, so is Rafael. I mean, maybe not livid. So is, but Rafael yeah. Devers ain't a fan either. Yeah, but like the guy's got a ring from Boston. Like I'm surprised that a one-year deal hasn't been broached there. Um, yeah. And right now like, they're projecting Masataka Yoshida as the DH. I think he's still going to play some outfield. They're projecting William Abreu to be his right, their right fielder. I think that might that might change. Don't don't, don't forget they did bring Tyler O'Neill in. He's got some thump. I I, I think yeah, Boston makes sense. I think you got a point with Boston. I'm not convinced Arizona. Most Arizona you may 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 or may not recall they just went and got Jock Peterson. And sure, oh, yes, Peterson might be exposed against left-handed pitching, but Peterson really can't play the outfield anymore either, no. especially not Arizona's outfield, which is pretty expansive. So I don't think Arizona's an option, a reunion with J.D. I mean, he obviously went there in 2017 uh, before becoming a free agent, uh, that 18 offseason and going and signing with Boston. So, yeah. yeah, Boston makes sense. I think, yeah, it, it could hurt. It could work. It's just you need to get management um, on board with spending money. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like to your point, right? Like with Yoshida moving to DH, like the Red Sox stated that they were opening to, they were open to trading Yoshida yeah. simply based on his defense. And I'm like, hmm. there, there are gold glove winning outfielders who have had trouble in left field at Fenway. Like yeah. the guy, the guy's a good hitter. Maybe give him a shot. Like, yeah. So we'll see. Let's move to our last segment of the day, and it is a new segment. We're calling it The Closer. So before we get to plugs and put a wrap on this episode, The Closer is our new segment where Eric and I exchange rapid-fire questions regarding recent headlines that we didn't have time to tackle in depth earlier in the show. Eric, I'll start us off. This is going to be quick. I'll start the first one. You fire your fastball back at me, then serve one right back up uh, with your own question. Let's get into it. Here we go. So first one for The Closer Glaber Torres wants to stay a Yankee for life, but there's no record or indication of any sort of negotiations between the two sides as of yet. Eric, will Glaber Torres be a member of the 2025 New York Yankees, yes or no? No. Okay. Kyle Tucker indicates his camp and the Astros have not had any real contract extension uh, negotiations as of yet, but he's always open to these conversations. 
So Storm, do the Astros extend Kyle Tucker before the start of the 2024 regular season? Yes or no? No, they do not. Aaron Judge mentioned that his toe injury, which cost him significant time in 2023, will require, quote, a constant maintenance. Eric, are you worried about the nagging side effects or re-injury of Aaron Judge's toe, yes or no? Uh, re-injury, yes. Constant maintenance, also yes, but both of those are based on the fact that Aaron Judge is 6'7", 280. And finally, uh, Alex Bregman's contract extension has been a topic of conversation all season. So, Storm, with Jose Altuve officially an Astro for life, uh, does Bregman test free agency, or do the Astros end up dealing him at the deadline for a crucial piece down the line for the pennant run? So this one is tougher. This can't be answered yes or no, uh, per se, because there's the these are more expansive. So does he test free agency? Yes. And this really isn't even a question for me. Do the Astros deal him at the deadline for a crucial piece down the stretch? Absolutely not. If they're in the running, Bregman is the crucial piece. He's going to be on this team. If they are in a run for a pennant, division title, World Series run, etc., Bregman's on the team because he is a crucial part of that. If they're out of things, if they're out of contention, then it becomes a question of do they trade Bregman for the last couple months to a contender so that they can try to restock this farm system and then try to make a run at him in free agency. So I think he's absolutely hitting the market. He's a Boris client. I think he's setting himself up with some of the things he's doing right now. He wants to hit the market. I think he will. And there's no way on earth if the Astros are in contention that he's not part of this team. Follow-up question, yes or no. They're in, con- they're in contention. Verlander's out for the season. Do they trade him for a, for a, for a pitcher? Yes or no? Trade who? Bregman. Verlander's out. So the Astros, no. Okay. No. They will go into their, they will go into minor league depth. They will, they will, they'll do what they did to get Verlander. They'll deal like Jacob Melton, who's their top prospect that, that people were apparently really interested in. They'll deal him. They'll package him with somebody else, maybe even a major leaguer like Jake Myers. And they'll go, they'll do it that way. If they're in contention, Bregman is on this team and staying on this team. He is a, he is the crucial piece. Okay, we know how your show franchise is going to (laughs) go. Well, with that, let's get to plugs. Uh, As always, T Public Store is your way you can support the show. Uh, This is Leap Day, Thursday, the 29th of February. They are having a sale, but I imagine that it will wrap by tomorrow, March 1st. So that won't do you any good. But keep tuned into the show's Instagram. I usually post when there is a T Public sale. Uh, and you can get them on discount, or you can just go check them out. If you like a design, buy it at full price. You can go to T Public, type in bleachers and boxes or Sports by Storm in the search bar, and you'll find the store there. Sports by Storm, the Substack blog, still going strong. Sign up, subscribe, get it right to your inbox on Substack. And lastly, you can find me on Twitter at Sports by Storm or on Instagram at Sports by Storm. Don't forget to check out the show on Instagram. Uh, at bleachers underscore and underscore boxes. You can also just show, you can also just search bleachers and boxes. True, true. Or, you know, another thing, most, wherever you get this podcast, most of our show notes have live links to all of this information in the show notes. If you scroll down there, it's in there. Yes, they do. I know that's the case on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, you can also find access to our, uh, our podcast on uh, Apple, Amazon, or Spotify via my Twitter, Fortrain Army. Uh, going strong, 
uh, finally sort of done with the Michigan Natty run. College basketball. I, I'm not looking going forward. Great. I'm looking College forward. baseball not going great for Michigan. You see they got run ruled the other night by Oregon State. Yeah, they did. I didn't know run rule was a thing in college, let alone it was kind of a small. It was only like 10. I was like, oh, shit, 10 is the run rule in college. I thought it'd be something outrageous, like 15. Yeah, exactly. It, it felt very um, Little League. Yeah, I mean, okay. I get it. These are kids. I get it. I get having one, but it 10, se- 10 seems too small to me. Like, yeah, well, that, that's my know. that's my point, right? Like, I, I remember getting run ruled as like a fourth grade. Well, I think that'll put a bow on it. Oh, by the way, we are also now on Google Podcasts. Finally got Ooh. them to take the RSS feed. So things are going strong. But anyway, for the most part, if, again, if you sign up to Substack too, I email everybody all the links to the show. All the subscribers get the links. And as you mentioned, um, also on the sh- on our IG, we have a link tree that you can find the links to all the places you can find the show. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. We'll see you soon. Bye. Peace. Peace.